Welcome to season six of Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and all the big feelings too. We tackle the serious stuff without being too serious. And I'm your co-host, Robin. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author. And I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. I'll give you concrete steps to take and the words to say. I mean, I hear it all the time that people are on wait lists for up to a year to get their child evaluated. A woman just sent me an email the other day saying that her five-year-old was really struggling and she can't find somebody who treats five-year-olds, to which, of course, I responded to her, look for somebody who can treat you to help your five-year-old. But I think that this idea of accessibility and affordability, dealing with insurance, trying to figure out who you're supposed to see. A lot of the really skilled therapists right now, to be honest, are moving away from taking insurance because of a myriad of issues of that that happen professionally. It can feel really daunting and people give up. And it's real. I mean, they're not making this up. The accessibility and the affordability are real issues that people are struggling with. Let's talk about all of the different ways someone who is determined to make change and help themselves or their families can sort of create a do-it-yourself plan to get in the right direction. Yeah. And when we talk about do-it-yourself, we're really saying do it with other supportive people so you're not feeling alone in this because it's really helpful to not feel alone in this. And I will tell you that in terms of helping your child with anxiety, in terms of helping yourself with anxiety, there is an enormous amount that you can do, get good information that you can do yourself. This is not something, it's not like you have to take out your own appendix here. You can do this if you have good information and if you have a consistent plan that you follow, it really does help. Let's talk about the first thing, which I think is the most obvious. Let's talk about books. And if someone were trying to think about what could they read and what could they gain from a book, I know you're very well read in other people's books in addition to the books you've written. Mm -hmm. Well, there's two types of books in terms of what's helpful and what people read. Some of those books that people put out are their own stories. There is a journalist. His name is Matt Gutman. He is an ABC correspondent. He is a senior correspondent. He goes all over the world. He was in Israel. But he wrote a book about his own struggle with panic attacks and how he was trying to do this very stressful, very on-the-air job while he was struggling with his own anxiety. And that book is filled with very concrete information about treating panic attacks. And he also is sharing his own story, which is pretty darn inspirational. So there are books where people are telling their own story and they're offering concrete information. I think that can be a great resource for people. There are other books where people are just talking about their own story and they're not really giving you stuff to do. And those are good to read in terms of being interested in how people struggle so you don't feel alone, but you're not going to get as much concrete information from them. Well, there's actually then three types of books because then there are the books on panic attacks written by experts (laughs) as well. (laughs) Oh, and there are four types of books. There are people that write books on panic attacks that have no effing idea what they're talking about. So I think that this is what is hard 
start naming some titles of books that you would recommend. Okay. Any book by Reed Wilson, who of course I'm biased. You're going to hear my bias here because I know these people well. But Reed Wilson, he wrote a book called Stopping the Noise in Your Head. He also wrote a book a long time ago called Don't Panic. That one got a lot of attention. That one got a lot of attention. That was his first book that really brought him into public awareness. He also on his website, which I talk about a lot, anxieties.com, has a lot of resources, which I'll talk more specifically about online stuff in a moment. Let me just give you some other titles. The authors Martin Seif, S-E-I-F, and Sally Winston have written wonderful books for adults, specifically on OCD and intrusive thoughts. Very, very accessible books. Michael Yapko, of course, has written wonderful books on depression, breaking the patterns of depression, the keys to unlocking depression. David Burns is another author. He wrote a book called Feeling Good several years ago, which has been on the bestseller list for years and years and years. He wrote another book recently called Feeling Great. So he's talking about, he's a very cognitive behavioral guy talking about using therapy. So that's a very good resource book. There are books for kids or for you to read with your child that are really helpful. Dawn Hubner. H-U-E-B-N-E-R. She wrote a book many years ago called What to Do When Your Worry Shows Up, which is just very consistently recommended to parents. I actually think some of her more recent books are better. She wrote one called What to Do When Your Brain Gets Stuck, which is a book for kids, younger kids dealing with OCD, which is really concrete. And she also wrote a book called Outsmarting Worry a few years ago, which is a really helpful book for those tweeners, right? For like nine to 12, which is really concrete. But here's the thing. If you as an adult are trying to help your child and you read these books yourselves, then it's going to give you language and steps that you can take. And of course, my own books, I'm biased because I feel like we worked really hard to make them concrete and helpful. My husband always says, you can't just read the book, you got to do the book. Well, and let's talk about that. So you wrote with Reed Wilson, Anxious Kids, Anxious Parents. I think that's 10 years old now. And we get letters all the time from listeners that your book was the game changer that turned their therapy around into something constructive. So don't undersell your own. And then I want to give a huge shout out to your most recent book that was targeted to adults called The Anxiety Audit, because it will really help you outline what are the patterns that you fall into and help you move through thinking about the content of what you worry about and instead help you understand the patterns that anxiety always pulls in. Because the content's going to change throughout your life, but if you really get a hold of your patterns, that was a game changer for me. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I think I just put up an Instagram reel yesterday when I was walking. And it really is for me, figuring out what are you doing to keep yourself in this place. And this is what I learned from Michael Yapko. And this is what his books talk about too, breaking patterns. So there's so much out there that you can get a hold of. So many products, so many books, so many fill in the blank that are really about how to calm down when you're anxious, how to get rid of your anxiety. I really like books that look at how does this thing keep going? What are the patterns that fuel this? 
if you are breaking out in hives, there are lots of things you can do once you have hives, but you really want to figure out, why do I keep breaking out in hives? And it's the same way with depression and anxiety. If you have a child who keeps exploding or you have a child who keeps refusing to go to school or you yourself are dealing with such difficulties stepping into certain situations, we can figure out how to avoid, which of course we don't want to do. But we also want to figure out how do you freak yourself out? What are the patterns that keep you in this place? I was just meeting with a woman who I've known for many years. I haven't seen her for a long time. And she's trying to figure out what she is going to do with really the last chapter in her life because she's retired and she has some very important goals. She is a brilliant person. And the session that I had with her, what we talked about is what are the stories that you keep telling yourself that I've heard for years and years and years that are getting in the way of this current chapter? So it's really about looking for things that tell you what to do and how to prevent it from happening over and over and over again. Let's take a break. And when we come back, let's talk about all of the online resources that can be good and can be bad. <laughs> Robin and I travel a lot. And part of traveling is that you learn that you have to compromise, right? So maybe you're not going to get the best seat on the plane. Well, you know where you shouldn't compromise? You shouldn't compromise with your health care. When it comes to your health, there's no compromising, everybody. Don't go back to that one doctor who didn't really pay attention to you, who rushed you through your appointments. Check out ZocDoc. This is the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, insurance. So literally no compromises here. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. You don't have to wait. You don't have to be on hold with a receptionist. These doctors all have verified reviews from real patients. So the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is just between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. I have two young adult sons. They are always needing something, right? We've had broken elbows. We've had tonsils. We've had this. We've had that. If I were a young person, if I were a parent trying to help my young person find a doctor, this is what I would use. So Go to ZocDoc.com slash Fluster and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Fluster. ZocDoc.com slash Fluster. You know when you're listening to a song on the radio and you just have this feeling that the song was written about you or that it was someone that you love trying to say something to you? Well, now imagine the power to gift that same incredible feeling to someone you love with an original song that actually is about them and about your relationship and that Songfinch writes just for you. Songfinch lets you create an original radio quality song inspired by your own life and the people that you love. It's completely unique, it's personal, and it lasts forever. 
I had the pleasure of creating a family song with Songfinch about our summer celebrations that we have every year. I knew it was going to make everybody cry, and it certainly did. I got to be honest, I was even crying, giving all of the information and helping personalize my song with the writer that I chose. He absolutely delivered a beautiful acoustic song that captured exactly what I was looking for, and it was so fun to share with the family. So whether you're song is for Father's Day, an upcoming graduation, a wedding or an anniversary, or even just a gift to show your loved one how much you care, start your song now to lock in one of Songfinch's top artists. Don't waste another dollar on more stuff. It only takes four to seven days, but that song will last forever. For a limited time, Songfinch is letting our listeners upload their song to Spotify for free so you and the lucky person or people can listen to it anywhere, anytime. So go to songfinch.com slash fluster and start your song. After you purchase, you'll be prompted to add Spotify streaming for your original song for free, a $50 value. Again, the URL is songfinch.com slash Fluster. Don't forget to share your song with us too in our Facebook group, songfinch.com slash fluster. Picture the thing that you've always wanted to learn, and now picture that you're learning it from the person who's literally the best in the world at it. It's fantastic, and that's what you get with Masterclass. I recently listened to Matthew Walker's talk on sleep and the importance of consistency with sleep. I loved Bobby Brown's masterclass, gave me all these tips about putting on makeup because, you know, I'm in front of a camera sometimes and I want to look good and Bobby was such a big help. So this year, learn from the best to become your best with masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Like I actually put on makeup the way that Bobby Brown taught me how to put on makeup. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Masterclass offers over 180 instructors. So whether you want to master negotiation with Chris Voss, Think Like a Boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe you want to learn how to just make your makeup look better with Bobby Brown or sleep better with Matthew Walker, with Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. I loved it. There are over 200 classes to pick from. New classes are added every single month, like a class that talks about your gut health. So many interesting things to learn. So every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's absolutely no risk. Right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash Fluster. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash fluster. Masterclass.com slash fluster. Okay, we're back. Okay, so we covered books that people could purchase or get from a library. So for online resources, let's just talk about it. Okay. Here's what you don't want. You and I say this phrase all the time because it's so relevant. You don't want the blind leading the blind. Right. 
And that's very easy to fall into when people need to know they're not alone in what is causing so much stress and suffering for them personally or for their family members. But you have to think of you aren't alone. And thank you very much. I'm not going to follow you in the same patterns of suffering that you are. There's something called an anxiety influencer, Lynn. Yeah. So I'm not sure what that is, but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to like it. <laughs> you know, this is one of those moments where it's sad that we don't have video podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> because it's really hard to show an eye roll or something like that. Yeah. Or it's more like a grimace. I think this brings up a good point, and I think one of the differentiations we want to make is how important it is to have empathic support, to know that you're not alone, to know that there are other people out there that are dealing with the same exact thing that you are, but that doesn't mean that those people have good information. Say you're just going through a divorce, you might say to somebody, hey, I know that you went through a divorce. What are some of the things that were really helpful? What are the things you wish you knew when you went through your divorce that now are helpful to me? That's one question to ask. Or listening to somebody says, oh, I went through a divorce. Yeah, it was horrible. It's going to be awful. Let me tell you all of the horrible things that I went through, and I hope you don't go through those things too. So there are different ways that we offer support and different places that we get good, solid information. Empathy is really, really helpful. Support and somebody just saying, I'm so sorry you're going through this is really, really helpful. But if you are looking for a solution, if you are looking for things to do, you've got to go to people who know what to do. You've got to go to people who can say, this is what works and this is what doesn't work. Let me give you an example of two types of groups that sort of bring this issue home. If you are afraid of throwing up, and I was just talking to this kid the other day and I said, for example, let's use the example of throwing up. And he goes, you always use that example. So bear with me. If you have what is diagnosed as emetophobia, that's what it's called. There are support groups that you can go on that are a bunch of other people that are also afraid of throwing up and they keep track of how many days they've not thrown up and all the things they do to prevent themselves from throwing up. That's the opposite of helpful because what they're saying is the goal is to never throw up. How do I make sure that I live my life so that I never take any risk so that I don't throw up? So that becomes an avoidance strategy. Now, there are other support groups for people who have emetophobia that talk about how they manage their fear when it shows up. What exposure therapy did they do? How did they allow themselves to get out of catastrophic thinking? For example, how did I not spend my whole life anticipating that I'm going to throw up, but instead began to realize that most people will throw up? And how do I allow myself to maybe compartmentalize that or contain that in a little bit so that it doesn't take over my whole life? Yeah, actually, that's a shout out to one of our listeners who's a personal friend of ours, who's a therapist in New York City. He works with men who have a phobia of urinating in public. Mm -hmm. So they work on an exposure therapy. Right. That's what you do, right? Versus joining a group of people who talk about how they have survived never leaving their apartment in case they need to urinate. Right. Or all of the bathrooms in New York City that are private so that you can make sure that whenever you're out in the world, you can find a place to pee in private. That's doing the disorder. Hey, Dan. Hey, Dan. 
<laughs> he listens every week. So yeah, and awesome work. And so that's the difference. So if you went to somebody or you were using a support group or you were talking to other people who struggled with this same problem and they were trying to help you do the disorder, that would not be helpful. But I will tell you, if I just take a little peek at the many, many, many Facebook groups that are out there, everything from my kid has ADHD to my child has autism to my child has anxiety, I will see in those groups a lot of bad advice, a lot of advice that's the exact opposite of what I would offer. I see support groups for parents that are dealing with schools, and I see a lot of advice in those groups that actually supports a really sort of confrontational and non-collaborative approach to dealing with an anxious child. And I see a lot of putting in things that actually get in the way of developing skills. So it's just important. Even with our own Facebook group and moderating that of those who listen, very well-intended listeners often advise and chime in to the posts that other listeners make with the advice that's the exact opposite of what you would want. That's not very helpful. So sometimes we hide the posts. And it's not that we don't appreciate the effort, but if you're just promoting more and more of the same, being stuck in the content of anxiety and not moving through it, then that person who's trying to sort of grasp your teaching and your framework, Lynn, they just got some bad advice that may have made them a little bit more stuck in what they're doing that's not helping them. Yeah. And the posts that I love on our Facebook group for the podcast are the ones that say things like, I have been exactly where you are and we did this thing and it really helped. I would recommend that you investigate this or I would recommend that you read this or here was an episode that really helped me giving concrete actions that you take that are informed. There's this old saying, I don't know if you have heard it, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Sure. And I'm writing this article right now, and I am just sort of tweaking that phrase a little bit. And oftentimes, the road to being helpful with anxiety is paved with good intentions, but good intentions don't get the job done. So support Empathy, you're not alone, fabulous, but be very cognizant of where you're getting your advice from because the blind leading the blind means that people are often walking in circles. And I would say, unfortunately, that's the majority of the information online. Yeah, every once in a while, somebody will tag me on a response. It happened recently where there was some anxiety support group and somebody was asking about what to do with their child to get them into school. And there was a whole list of suggestions. And somebody said, have you listened to Lynn Lyons? Because she would say the exact opposite of what all you people are saying. And I get it. This is what we talk about all the time. But it's just important for you, particularly those of you who listen on a regular basis, to just be discriminating about where you're getting your information. There was an instance maybe a couple of years ago where we referenced it in another episode that a very, very large audience, parent, blogger, and influencer who has an anxious child. I mean, she has hundreds of thousands of followers. And she was saying, this is how I help my anxious daughter. And she showed a schedule of what they were going to eat, what they were going to do. They were feeding this anxious child with the illusion of certainty to enable this 
daughter for needing certainty all the time. And so even though she's a really well-regarded and very popular parent blogger, she just said to her audience of hundreds of thousands of parents, if you've got an anxious child, give them all the certainty they want, which is the exact opposite of actually how you turn things around and help them develop skills to tolerate uncertainty. Right. So it's important to think about, did this content make me feel better because I'm not alone? Or did this content tell me hard work I need to embark on because the latter is probably what you want? And also you can get both. So there can be situations in which you're really feeling like you're not alone and you're getting a lot of support in the hard work that you're embarking upon. Well, I hope that's what our group is. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. When we've gathered in person for our retreats, that's very much the spirit of what our retreats have been. So that's also very nice to know that we can support that. Do you have some other podcasts? Because podcasts, if people have the ability, those are often free. And what other podcasts might you recommend? I certainly am a fan of Lisa Demore's podcast. She talks specifically about teenagers. And one of the things I like about her podcast is that she brings up or her topics are very often the regular day-to-day things that parents are dealing with. So, you know, how do I talk to my kid about sex? Or what if I can't get my teenager to finish their homework? So it's not a podcast that talks about disorders. It's not a podcast that talks about specific problems. And I think she's incredibly solid in her approach. There is another podcast called The Puberty Podcast, which also is really helpful if you're trying to figure out how to talk to your child, your teen and your tween about these things. Very solid expertise. There's a woman, one who's a doctor and one who's not, and they're very good at discussing that. There is a guy that I just came across recently. He was on another podcast that I was listening to, and he is the ADHD dude. And he has a YouTube channel. His name is Ryan Wexelblatt, W-E-X-E-L-B-L-A-T-T, Wexelblatt. He's a dad. He's a social worker like me. He's got a kid that has ADHD. As I was listening to his approach, he's very much about skill building, and he's very concrete in the ability and the need to develop executive functioning skills. So that's another great podcast to listen to. You know, Esther Perel has her podcast, Where Shall We Begin?, which is sort of that voyeuristic podcast of listening to her talk to couples. But I've listened to many, many of her episodes, and she offers really, really solid information, and she's just brilliant. So anything by Esther Perel, if you're interested in marriage and connection and relationships, is just going to be fantastic. And Michael Yapko, who we interviewed, your mentor, he also has a variety of YouTube talks that I watched before we interviewed him, too. Yes. So if you just look him up, you know, Michael Yapko and go to YouTube, he has a talk that I think now has over 5 million listens, watches. I've referenced it before. It's about an hour long. It's just fantastic. Devorah Heitner, who we had on the podcast, her new book, Growing Up in Public, she's got a lot of resources and a lot of information about managing social media. And in terms of managing anxiety, managing depression, Managing OCD, ADHD. Sharon Celine is another resource. She is in Western Massachusetts. 
and she has written a book and has some other resources that are really helpful for parents who are trying to figure out how to manage ADHD and executive functioning. And also Reed Wilson has a phenomenal free YouTube video series that I think we actually already have linked on our site called Stopping the Noises in Your Head. And it's a really well done, high production value series on understanding patterns of anxiety that would be great for kids who were like 13, 14 and above. I mean, it was created for adults, but older kids would definitely benefit from it. Right. He also has two programs on his website that you have to pay for, but they are not expensive for what you get. It's like $79 for four hours of content. One is on panic And the most recent one he did is on OCD. They are fantastic. He is such a clear teacher, and he will give you things to do and ways to think about it that truly will shift the way that you manage your anxiety, what you understand about OCD. So good for families. I recommend them to families all the time to sit and watch with your teenager because they are just so, so instructive. So let's take a break. And when we come back, let's now talk about that next step where after you've consulted some books and podcasts and online groups, and you have a little more information and vocabulary, what's the best way to pull a therapist in? Or what's the best way to improve therapy that you're not sure is going as well as you would like? everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 
Okay, so now back to the show. So let's talk about therapy now, Lynn. First, let's talk about online therapy because online therapy has been a game changer for accessibility. Many states are working on legislation that allow therapists to work with clients out of state. The PhD psychologists have moved their legislation along more quickly than social workers, but there are many states now that allow you to work with somebody who is not in your state as a way to increase accessibility. And that was something that was really important during COVID because so many people were trying to find therapists and so many therapists weren't in their offices anymore. If you call an online therapy organization, they will hook you up with a therapist that is able to practice in your state and able to see you. So you don't have to worry about that. There was research on online therapy that was being done before COVID. I think I've said this before, but it bears repeating. For people who are struggling with anxiety and depression, for adults, online therapy was found to be as satisfactory for clients as in-person therapy. That doesn't mean that everybody likes it better or that it's a good fit for everybody, but it has shown that that difference of being online versus in person was not impacting people's treatment or recovery. That's great because that definitely has impact on accessibility. And the online services are relatively affordable because often insurance is accepted and the price points, they have plans that are more affordable than in-person therapy often. But let's talk about whether it's online therapy or in-person therapy. There are so many pieces of advice you have to make sure you're getting good therapy. Yep. Okay. So the first piece of advice is that you're allowed to ask questions and interview therapists to make sure that they are somebody who is skilled in your issue. So it is perfectly fine for you as if you were doing online therapy or in-person therapy to ask questions, to say, what is your training in this? How long have you been in practice? What percentage of your clients deal with this problem? Those are perfectly reasonable questions to ask. The other myth about therapy, which I think really becomes a barrier for some people, is that you have to go once a week for a really long time. So say you find somebody who's really skilled in what you're looking for and they don't take your insurance and the cost would be prohibitive for you to pay out of pocket. You can say to somebody very directly, this is what my budget is. And I'm wondering if I can meet with you. Maybe we can meet one time. It's also okay to ask for a longer first session so you can get more done, right? So can I book a double session for you for the first time? I will send you a lot of information ahead of time so that we don't have to go through my whole history and have you give me things to do. And then I can come back in a month or so and check in with you to see how I've done with those assignments. It's comparable to say you hire a personal trainer. You go, you meet with the personal trainer, they give you a program that then you're going to work on for a month, and then you might come back a month or two later to get some updates or to get some other things to do. You don't have to meet with the personal trainer three times a week or even once a week once you have a program that you can use yourself. That can be a very, very effective way to use therapy, and I've done it with hundreds of people over the years, particularly with people that maybe travel a very long distance to come to see me. So they will come to see me from New York or from Minnesota, and they can get that information and then go back 
and put it into practice. You're allowed to ask for that. You're allowed to advocate for that and to find somebody who's willing to work with you in that model. What happens if you have access to a therapist or have been seeing a therapist and you say, I would like homework to work on. You don't give me any homework. And we'd like to focus on skill building the way Lynn talks about in her books or on the podcast. And the therapist looks at you with a little bit of a blank face because it's very outside the way they practice. What do you do in that situation? Yeah. Well, I mean, you can say, like, it's really important that I have assignments between sessions. Is that something you do? Or I've noticed that you don't do that. And if they say, no, I don't do that, then it may be time to say, well, I don't think this is a good fit. One of the things I hear from parents all the time is they'll say, well, my child's been going to see this therapist for a long time. And of course, I say, are you involved in the therapy? Because that's the key question for me. But say they say no, but they say, she really, really likes this therapist and she really wants to go and I don't want to go in and find her a new therapist when she's really made a connection with this therapist, but I don't think they're really doing the things that you talk about. Then it's time for you to schedule an appointment with that therapist and say, these are what my goals are and is this something that you can work on with your child? If that therapist may say, no, I'm going to do things my way, that's a red flag for me. But say your child really does want to keep going and seeing that therapist. Say that child is a 14-year-old who really is talking about things and you find it helpful. You can supplement that therapy with stuff that you are doing as a parent to break your own patterns. Let me ask you this question. A family's got a kid in therapy. The parents are not involved. The child likes the therapist because they've developed a bond, like you've said, and then the therapist is sort of practicing very differently than the way you would. What do you speculate is going on in that practice? I mean, spell it out for us so that we know this is kind of an example. Is it just like an empathic hour of listening, but nothing else? Yeah. I mean, people aren't going to like to hear this, but I'm going to say it. Say it, Lynn. Say it. There are a lot of therapists who are really, really nice people, but who are not really learning or growing or challenging themselves to be on top of the things that we know are helpful, particularly for anxiety, for OCD, for depression. There are a lot of therapists who are serving the role as being a very supportive and empathic listener. And I'm not saying that that's not enormously helpful. I'm just saying in general, it's not enough. I want all therapists to be supportive and empathic, but I also want them to challenge the people that they're working with to do things differently. What often happens is you've got somebody who is a wonderfully kind human being, but who didn't really get the training or doesn't continue to get the training that they need to develop their skills. And that's fine. But I think we need to demand more of our mental health professionals, and I think we need to be aware of how important active therapy is, particularly for things like anxiety and depression. Well, I think that's helpful. I think parents, if they're investing the time and the finances and the resources into the therapies, they have to have their critical thinking cap on to see, is this moving things in a good direction? Right. And it probably could always be moved even more strongly in a better direction, right? Like everything can be optimized. Yeah. And I think it's hard for people to go in 
and say, hey, this is what I need, or this isn't working for me. Lots of times, people will just stop going to appointments. They'll just cancel an appointment and not reschedule. That certainly happened to me because it's hard for people to go in and insert themselves. And so that's a skill that you want to sort of have in your back pocket. You can also write a nice email if it's hard for you to do in person. You can say to the therapist, I really need to have some more concrete goals. In the category of difficult questions to ask, this is an easier way to do it, is to just say, I so appreciate what you've done for Sophie. I mean, I really am glad that we've made this connection with you. She so enjoys coming to see you. Can we have a session together to talk about the next step and what the goals of therapy are? Because I'm thinking ahead and I want to make sure that she has these skills. And so that's a very nice and very appropriate and very effective way of saying, this is what I want. And you can even say, we've been coming to see you for a while. I'd like to spread out the sessions because of, again, accessibility and affordability. Can we come up with a plan of things we're going to work on as a family because she needs to see you once a month instead of once a week or whatever? What would some of those skills or things to work on as a family, just give us examples. Okay. Say you've got a child who's been working on their anxiety a little bit. You can say, so give us some homework assignments of ways that we can do exposure at home. So let's make a list. Can you give us a list of things you can say to a therapist? I need a script, I need language, I need a step-by-step plan of what to do when my kid freaks out at bedtime. Can you tell me what I should do and what I should say, and then we'll practice it? Or you might say, we've really been working on her social skills because she has a really hard time talking to other people and I'm really concerned about friendships. Can we come up with some things that we're going to do as a family, increase her social traffic so she can practice? And so then you're working with the therapist and she gives you things to practice. And it may be we're going to go into a restaurant and she's going to order or we're going to participate in an activity or she's going to find one activity outside of the home that looks interesting to her and we're going to make a commitment to go to it. Very concrete things. If you're talking to your therapist about homework assignments, think in terms of this is something that we're doing that if there were a camera in the house filming us, they would be able to tell by watching the video that we as a family are working on not avoiding, that we as a family are working on stepping in, that we as a family are practicing. So it could be role-playing and then going out and doing it in the world. Again, just to use another analogy, because you know how I love analogies, if the assignment was, I want to get better at push-ups, and we were videoing you in your house, we'd want to see you doing the steps that one takes in order to get better at push-ups. If we don't see any of that happening, how are you supposed to get better at push-ups? Very concrete, Mm action-oriented. That's great. As we wrap this episode up and we're thinking of how do we get the help that we need when we have all of these barriers, I didn't expect when we started this podcast And we have made a commitment to doing it every week. So I've listened to you every week. Just as a consumer myself, persistent exposure to these concepts of yours makes a difference. Listening to this every week with you for what, since April of 2020, it takes time to have aha moments 
but with persistent, consistent thinking about it and thinking of all the ways our emotional management shows up, you can do stuff on your own. I mean, you really can. And to just also give you a little support in that if it only took hearing this stuff one time, that no one in our family or your family would have any difficulty managing their emotions. It's not like you hear the information once. So just can you speak to that? It's about practice. Yeah. And again, it's like anything else. If you want to learn a new language, you don't listen to your language app one time and then you're fluent in Spanish or Romanian. It takes repetition. And in that, though, I think that consistency is really important because where people get overwhelmed, and maybe if we're talking about these barriers to therapy and barriers to change, people think that they have to do a ton and it's going to be too much. Listening to this, practicing these things, giving yourself a little grace as you screw up and get back on track, it is consistent and small things matter. So doing something over and over and over again with your family, talking about it, really makes a huge difference. The other thing, too, I think is a really helpful thing to remember as you're trying to deal with this is that you really need to be upfront with your kids about what you're doing. So being transparent, saying, we're going to work on this as a family, or I'm working on my anxiety, or I'm working on my anger. And really owning it and being upfront with your kids and with your partner, whatever family constellation you're in, is enormously helpful. But it is absolutely about consistency and knowing that, unfortunately, the improvement that we make is not often linear. There are setbacks. There are things that we do. There are mistakes we make. It is totally fine, but it's about sticking with it over time. In terms of our own podcast, I will mention that we just recently added a lot of the recent episodes to the various playlists. So I think listening to playlists on specific topics can be super helpful. And I think re-listening to podcasts and rereading books that have been helpful, give yourself time to let this information really sink in at deeper and deeper levels every time you're exposed to them. So just have patience. We're all works in progress, and it's a life of learning and a life of evolving. It is. I get a lot of emails from people that are desperate. I mean, they're truly trying to find help for their kids, and they will describe the situation that they're in. And usually the first response, sometimes maybe I'm trying to find them a therapist, right? I mean, I can't do it all the time, but people do email me and I try and respond. But the first question that I ask is, what have you done so far? And it is interesting to me that people will reach out to me absolutely struggling, absolutely in pain, absolutely trying to help their child, and they haven't done anything that I would consider informed. They haven't taken that next step. And that will be the first thing that I will tell them. Where I'm thinking about this selfishly now, now I'm going to say, go listen to episode whatever number this is, because that's going to give you a lot of stuff to do. They have been suffering maybe for years, and they haven't done anything yet. I'm really giving you permission. I am begging you, access these resources. You can do a lot to make a difference with your kids. And yourself. Putting ourselves in our driver's seats of our own mental health is empowering and dramatically effective. Dramatically effective, for sure. And hard to do, because when you're anxious and depressed, remember, if you listen to Michael's episode, the very nature of those states of mind is passivity, hopelessness, inaction. 
You've got to do the things that are the opposite of what this disorder is demanding. Thanks for listening. And if you found this podcast helpful, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find this information. And if you'd like to dig deeper on any of these topics, we have specialized playlists on our Spotify profile and the link is in the show notes. Topics like teens, depression, and OCD. Bye, Lynn. Bye, Robin. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.